This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, in for Dave. British Columbia is making waves to protect its biodiversity and the rights of Indigenous people. They are the first jurisdiction to sign the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People into law. Originally signed in 2019, the impacts of that law are being felt today. Arno Kopecki is here to explain how, and Arno is a journalist based in BC. Hello, Arno. How are you doing today? Hello. Good morning, Alex. I'm good. Thanks. Great. So, okay, this law was signed in 2019. Why are you focused on it today? Yeah, you know, it's because some of its impacts are only just now starting to be felt. And uh, it's a wide-ranging law. I'm really interested in its impact on environment and, and, and biodiversity protection. And a couple of months ago, BC's really re- released a slew of huge announcements around protecting uh, ecosystems in this province. This is the most biodiverse province in the country, one of the most biodiverse regions in the world, twice the size of France. And BC is now getting pretty radical. They've, they've put a billion dollars on the table in conservation financing and creating national or provincial parks, uh, indigenous-led parks, and a whole bunch of stuff that is really looking to prioritize uh, ecosystem protection and health over industrial profits, which is a total 180 from how things have been run in the last 150 years or so in this province. And what's really fascinating is that indigenous led conservation is really at the heart of this and involving over 200 nations in this province um it's a huge endeavor super complex and it's it's really just starting to kick in now uh, so that that's sort of why i've why i've really started to take note and and, and look into it well and, and expand on that a bit more because like just naturally yeah. it would sound like these are two kind of very separate things but you say that they're very much intertwined so what is kind of outlined in the UN declaration of the rights of indigenous people sure yeah it's a huge document uh, you know at the heart of it is just i think a, a fairly simple but profound notion that indigenous peoples have human rights like the rest of us uh, these rights have been trampled upon not just in canada but much of the world um and now we're we're coming around but uh as I said, in BC and in much of Canada, you know, and Indigenous communities are the ones who live out on the land, and their rights have been, in, in part of the trampling of their rights has been the extraction of resources from their territories, uh, causing great uh, environmental damage, you know, clear cuts that then, dis, you know, there's landslides that then ruin salmon streams, it, it's, it's an endless list. Um, so involving them in the decision making of what resources get extracted is is a pretty big change you know if you look at pipelines and hydroelectric dams and mines these things traditionally in bc and and all of canada have just gone ahead uh, according to the whims of of government and industry without any consultation so uh the 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 declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples affirms that not only do the indigenous communities who live out there uh, have to provide consent, but they actually have to be part of the decision-making process. So they get to say what goes where, they get a share in the profits, they get some self-determination here, they get to they form their own governments. It's essentially a 
one 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 person that I talked to about this described it as the creation of a governance superstructure in this province. So we already have a provincial government. Um, we are now also watching the creation of a of a of a second layer of government, which is the collection of indigenous nations in this in this province. And these two separate forms of government are now fusing into one sort of huge umbrella of governance that will jointly oversee how resources are extracted in this province and where. And they will jointly oversee uh, new parks that allow some uh, industry to proceed, but on very different specific terms than before. Um, it's really, it's an immense change and, and nobody in Canada or the world is, is really quite doing this. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite dramatic. It's very complex and, and rather wonky. So it doesn't lend itself well to headlines or descriptive, uh, you know, narrative uh, swashbuckling stories, but it, it really is in its impact. It's, it's a dramatic state of affairs and it really turns the way things have been done upside down. Well, that's why I always like bringing you on, Arno, because you can help unpack these stories that may not be front of mind for people that are, but are still having a a very clear impact on you know the environment, on industry, on the province as a whole. As you mentioned, this is something completely new; it's never been done before. Exactly, How has yeah. the process been so far? Well, it's been complex and slower than anybody wants it to be. I think one of the flashpoints in this province is, as your audience may be aware, is is the protection of old growth forest in this province. That's that's called, you know, there's been huge protests around that. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the big changes that's been happening now is BC is saying, okay, we're putting a moratorium, no more logging of old growth, but we have to involve First Nations in this. So paradoxically, even if a First Nation doesn't want old growth to be logged on its territory, which is generally the case they also don't want the province just to come in and say okay we're going to stop this thing they don't want the province to come in and tell them anything unilaterally they want to be involved in these decisions so that has meant because there are so many nations and it's so complex it has taken longer than anybody wants it to take to stop logging old growth now we're finally reaching that point that's just one example there's also you know commercial fishing there's mining uh there's these pipelines that are being built and oil and gas being extracted so in each of those cases but now we are slowly actually starting to see this thing take some teeth and so old growth is being logged less um, and, you know, with this billion dollars that's now on the table for conservation financing and the creation of parks, you're seeing industry actually realize like, whoa, we're not running the show anymore the way we used to. We have to do, there's all these, you know, what they see as hurdles to their profits in place. And so it has created a situation now the you know in bc uh, it's an ndp provincial government here which is which is leading this charge and I, I give them really big props for doing that um when the declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples act was signed into law in 2019 in this province it was passed unanimously in the legislature conservatives ndp everybody signed on to it now that the reality of what that actually means is is starting to kick in conservative opposition has is now saying whoa 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 we're if elect us back into our power and we will revoke you know we will repeal this act it's much too you know th these you know we can't let these indigenous groups interfere with with the growth of this province and and a lot of, you know, fairly uh, racist, you know, thinly veiled racist uh, uh, reasons for them to to renege on, on what they had promised. So uh, that's how that's kind of how I see it is, is, you know, all of a sudden we're having to to give back some of the authority that we that we un unlawfully took over over this land. And people, when they see what that actually looks like in practice, they they're starting to backpedal some people. 
And in terms of uh, resource extraction now and in that bringing in the First Nation uh, to yeah. to be part of those decision-making processes, this doesn't necessarily mean that this is the end of natural resource extraction in BC. It's just it's taking a different approach. There's a, a lot more consultations, say, and um, power to those who are living in those communities and on those lands. Exactly. Yeah, there's, you know, there's this, the myth kind of goes two ways, you know, the, the the noble savage, you know, First Nations don't want any industry at all to take place. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Many First Nations groups are very pro-industry. Um, they have been mired in poverty for ages, uh, and they want to make some money like we did, like everybody else has. Um, but they also live on the land, so they see firsthand and feel and live with the results of the way industry has been done here for the last 150 years, which is really just total pillage and plunder. And we're seeing the effects. There, are, There is almost no old growth left in this province, you know, uh, five or 10% of what there used to be. Salmon populations, wild salmon populations are crashing. Um, you see destruction on the landscape. That is, it's not just that this pretty landscape is not as pretty as it used to be, but, you know, uh, the impacts are, are huge in terms of uh, there's also just not as much money to be made anymore because a lot of because of the way that industry has proceeded. So uh, if you step back and look at the long picture and, and don't just think of, well, how much can we boost our quarterly profits? But if you think, how's this going to look for our children and our grandchildren and how can we sustain a way of life uh, for generations and generations to come? Um, that is kind of the the way that the, the perspective that I think First Nations help bring to the table here, which is really good for all of us. It's not just this altruistic act of, oh, let's atone for past sins. Uh, that's part of it. But it's also a way of like, let's all live together here because none of us are going away. And so that doesn't mean an end to industry, but it does mean uh, a change in the way that industry has proceeded for, for really valid reasons that I think the whole world has to start grappling with. And so that's why I see this as a really exciting, cool story. Like the, the BC is really offering uh, a way forward for, for a lot of people to, to take hope from. And what can other jurisdictions learn from BC's uh, uh, kind of direction and, and how they've led the charge in this area? Sure. You know, BC is unique in the sense that we never signed treaties with the First Nations here. It's the only province in Canada that really just basically took the land uh, without any legal uh, justification. They didn't sign any treaties as they did in the rest of Canada. And so... The law courts, uh, you know, First Nations have been fighting these battles in court for decades now and winning consistently, which is why a big part of the reason why British Columbia is doing this, I should say. It, um, this did not necessarily just come from the goodness of, of premiers' hearts. Uh, it came because they were losing in court and industry could not proceed anyway. Um, so they people have said, OK, well, let's, I guess we got to work together here. Let's figure this out. Um, so I think in the rest of Canada, where treaties have applied, the thing is that most of those treaties have been broken or not delivered in good faith. You know, a lot of those treaties included a provision that the First Nation community should be allowed to hunt and draw water in perpetuity. And when there's no more uh, wild animals left, which is in fact the case in a lot of parts of Canada, um, that's one of the ways in which these treaties have been broken. I want to emphasize, you know, I'm an environmental journalist, so I'm really uh, focusing on the environmental and ecosystem implications of this, but it spreads to education, it spreads to self-governance, uh, uh, it spreads to all kinds of, of aspects of, of just human rights. Um, and so in the rest of Canada, I think, you know, you could adopt this act and it would force 
provinces and, and other regions and, and territories in Canada to really re-examine uh, the treaties that were signed and how those are being actually implemented and broken and, and you know, a rewriting of the Indian Act, actually eliminating the Indian Act, I should say. Um, so that that's, I think, how, how I see uh, BC sort of setting a bit of a template that, that other regions and provinces could follow. Arno, thank you so much for bringing this story forward. It's a really important one. I'm, I'm so happy we could chat about it. Have yourself a wonderful day. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Alex. Great to chat with you. You as well. That was Arno Kopecki, a journalist based in British Columbia. Coming up after the break, the Roundtable on Black History Month is hosting a series of programming in Montreal. BMO Mitchell shares the highlights. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.